Every minute, every moment counts. Hello, I'm Julie Hyde, and I understand what it takes to make these moments count for leadership, business, and your life. This podcast will deliver insights and game-changing leadership moments that will allow you to level up and shine a light for those around you. Let's get into today's episode. With me today is Kate Halfpenny. Kate is the founder of Bad Mother Media, a boutique agency that creates the words to make businesses and entrepreneurs shine. Kate is an award-winning journalist, editor, and content creation expert inspired by words, nostalgia, vodka cocktails, and Dave Grohl. She was a longtime executive editor at Who Magazine. She's interviewed almost every Australian celebrity and many international ones, wrote hundreds of cover stories and thousands of features across the book. She's a regular columnist and regular guest on Melbourne radio shows. She has a wicked sense of humour and is a rock star in my world. Welcome, Kate. Thank you, Julie, for that lovely welcome. I'm so wrapped to be here. My gosh, I was saying to you before, it's very intimidating to be interviewing you, Kate. Well, I'm going to make sure that I really grill you in return and tell you off if you don't do a fantastic job. I'm that sort of person. I'm going to make it so hard for you, Julie Hyde. (laughs) No doubt, Kate. Now, I am really looking forward to this chat and who knows where it's going to take us. So I thought that we could start with a bit of your backstory because you had quite the traumatic time starting with leaving Who and then working for an organisation that pretty much nearly tipped you over the edge, which is something I really can't imagine because you're such a strong person. So can you share a little bit about that with us? I'm going to start with Who Magazine because that was such a fantastic part of my professional life. And when I got that job, Julie, it was six days before I had my first child. I was, yeah, 26. I was a baby having a baby. And the editors who came out from New York, from People Magazine, you know, they were running Who, they were just so unreal, set me up with a home office. We're talking 1993 before they ever existed. So I just loved that job and I loved how they treated people. The culture was unreal. So I ended up having three babies all up while I was at Who and just, you know, people would say to me, you've been at Who for 20 years. Are you still there? It's like, yeah, well, it was the best job in Australia. Absolutely loved it. But then came a time where I was offered a surprise redundancy from Who, and I don't want to go into too many details. It pretty much blindsided me. And, you know, it was funny on the day that I left, my son was working at Channel 7 and that's where we were based. You know, this is a boy that wasn't even born when I got the job. My middle son, and he was the one who was insisted on walking me out for that final time and taking all my corporate cards and my swipe card off me. And he was funny, he put me in the car and he said, don't cry until you get out of this car park. And he tapped the roof of the golf and he said, off you go, good job. It was just sort of so weird saying, you know, you know, this 
thing that had come full circle. This job had been such a part of my life, suddenly didn't have it, but pretty lucky in that I got another great job soon after that at an online national news website. So learned all the digital stuff, which was great for an old chook like me. You know, I was sort of 50 and thinking my media career was finished. So it was really fabulous to learn those new skills. The backdrop to that, though, Julie, was that I'd had a bit of a rough trot. My really long marriage had ended. I had a melanoma. One of my breast implants exploded and the silicon leaked into my lymph nodes. But I really met my match in this terrible job that I took during COVID back in 2020. You know, I made this bad error of judgment where I was lured by money, which is a mistake that I will never make again. It was a valuable lesson. So in a way, it was great that it happened. But yeah, look, it nearly derailed me. And I found myself for the first time in a long time, really struggling with mental health, struggling to find a purpose in life, struggling to be there for my family, you know, and struggling to be there for these employers, paying me a lot of money and expecting results, which, you know, I was happy to provide. So it culminated in me just knowing that if I didn't make a big change in my life, that terrible things were going to happen to me mentally. So I woke up one morning in our beautiful Collingwood place and looked at my husband and said, we're going to sell this joint and we're moving to the beach. I've got to leave this job. I need a fresh start. And he was ace, just said, no worries. So, you know, middle of a a pandemic and lockdown, sold our place in 10 days, found another one a week after that and made the move from inner city Melbourne, which we had loved up until that point, down to the coast. So, you know, that comes with its own problems, but overall, loving my little sea change, living outside Geelong in Victoria. Like that's an amazing story. And I think, you know, going back to the who situation, we're pretty much grown up, right? So, and I totally understand that because while, you know, it wasn't a surprise for me to leave my employment that I had for 21 years, but I grew up in that organization. So there was a lot of grief attached to me leaving. I can only imagine that would be, you know, amplified when it comes as a complete shock to you. Yeah. And, you know, I'm sorry that that happened to you because I I find as we move through life, there's various experiences, including for me, redundancy and divorce, where until it happens to you, you just don't get how completely awful it is you know you just think oh well you got to pay out and you can get another job what's your problem or maybe your marriage wasn't great anyway move on you know I never really got it I was that person but certainly redundancy I found really tricky because you're right you know since I was 26 and at that stage I was nearly 50 part of my identity had been really bound up with that you know it was so easy to pick up the phone every day and say it's Kate Halfpenny from Who magazine and suddenly I didn't have that and my kids were all much older you know the last one was still home with me but she was making moves and so all of a sudden it was like well who am I personally who am I professionally I really struggled with it so they had this other stuff thrown in on top of it yes it did require some mental fortitude and a lot of those vodka cocktails and Dave Grohl nights to get me back on my face (laughs) thank you Dave thank you absolute Thank you, Dave. That is a lot, Kate. And thank you 
for sharing like your story with us. I don't know. I just can't imagine just continually getting punched and having to get up again. But you, you did. Where do you find the strength to do that? Like they are very significant things. Like, you know, your marriage ending, you've got three children, your job ending, you didn't know, like the the melanoma is like, I know that's incredibly scary. And then the the implant bursting that leaks into your limb. I'm like, whoa. It sounds like the bad plot of a really bad TV show. I know. Do you know what? It's just what everyone experiences. You know, I don't think what's happened to me is extraordinary. I don't think the way that I've handled it is extraordinary. I think that it is just a part of life, you know, and I tell my kids this, that you have to experience really bad things to appreciate the good ones. Not every year is going to be great. You know, I'd always bang on to them and my poor long-suffering godchildren get it too you know that analogy about the pearl forming in the oyster shell where it's just this little bits of ugly grit layer upon layer upon layer which form on top of each other and ultimately are squished into this incredible pearl and you know that for me is what I've always told the kids it's the layers of bad shit which is going to form you something beautiful in the end that's where the good stuff comes from What's happened to me is just part of being on the earth for now 55 years and just, you know, rolling with it, not lying down. Obviously, I've had days where I felt pretty sorry for myself, but God sows everyone. Everyone's got their own stuff to deal with. Oh, God, 100%. So the sea change, like that's a massive move. I like and, and so spontaneous. Are you normally that spontaneous or was it just the fact that it's like, God, you know, I, I need a change now. I just need to get away from all of this shit. Yeah, it was pretty clear to me that I had to push the eject button pretty quickly, that I didn't have much margin for error. But in life, yeah, I absolutely am that. Is it spontaneous? I know instantly if I love something, whether it's a person, whether it's a food, shoes, a a place, you know, for me, there's no sort of grey area. I love it or I don't. If I don't, then I move on. And yeah, we were just really lucky that the perfect house was available at the perfect time for us. You know, that made it easier walking into this beautiful little sort of cottage surrounded by apple trees and things that, you know, for half the price of our Melbourne place. So that was a bonus, you know, where instantly we're inside and my husband looked at me and said, we're going to buy this. And we we did walk straight up to the agent who was in the kitchen and said, we want this house. So that made it easier. You know, for me, part of it is being by the sea as increasingly as I go along. One of my life realities is that salt water fixes everything, whether it's getting in the ocean, whether it's crying or whether it's sweating. You know, those three types of salt water for me, as long as I've got those in my life, I can usually find equilibrium. So that's how I sort of operate. (laughs) Yeah, I love that. The three types of salt water. I love it. But it was very serendipitous how that worked out for you. It's like I'd decide to sell and then you find the perfect place for you and it was quite an easy I suppose transition in terms of you found the place that you love like it wasn't a trauma to find anywhere which it can be yeah no we didn't have to put up with that the trauma was about two weeks after we moved down and you know we were treating it like a holiday resort because we had this beautiful garden I had the blow up Clark rubber pool on high rotation 
really funny. So we were half cut most days because I think that we forgot that we weren't in real life. It felt like we were just on holidays. So woo! And then after about a fortnight, we realised we haven't got any friends, which was really funny. We didn't think about that at any stage before we left Melbourne. It was just like, how good are we? We were wrapped in ourselves. And then when clunk that reality hit that we did not know anybody and that we were going to have to sort of you know build friendships from the ground up at a time when we didn't have kids who were sort of the decoy at school and could make friends for us through their parents it was a really sort of sobering time so that was a bit of a downer but you know that's been part of the fun of being down here meeting new people and and building new connections and new relationships. But I was also really lucky that I had done that in my professional life for the last, you know, 30 plus years, built those connections, always nurtured them, always stayed in touch with some fantastic people in media. So that allowed me to start my funny little business by accident. You know, I wasn't expecting to do that. I had no career plans. I was just going to sit in my garden and read and weed and suddenly I had this little business so that sort of took me by surprise and you know six years earlier I had been a woman who didn't even know how to do online banking and suddenly I've got a business so big learning curve it was it's been pretty funny yeah so out of something you know really traumatic now you know bad mother media was born and I suppose there's two questions there for me in terms of Obviously, your media, like all the connections, like you say, that you nurtured, did you have people then knocking on your door and saying, "Um, Kate, what are you doing now? Where are you going? Can you help me? Can you weave your magic for me? Like, how did it evolve? Do you know, I actually did, Julie. That's pretty much how it happened. As soon as I'd moved down here, I had a call from a friend who was one of the opinion editors at the age, you know, known each other forever. And she said, you know, like, we're, we're going to be auditioning columnists. Would you like to have a crack? There's a Saturday age vacancy that's opened up. It was like, are you serious? That is the holy grail for most journalists. Well, certainly it was for me that idea of being a columnist and actually being able to write what was important in my life rather than, you know, writing really prescriptive stories about other people, which I did enjoy, but, you know, I'd done it for a long time. So to finally be able to have a voice as me, that idea was really intoxicating. So my first story was actually about moving from the city to the beach. It was at a time when a lot of people were doing it after COVID or thinking about it. So that got instant traction. And um, lo and behold, I found myself with a weekly gig on The Age, which I really love doing just writing about my funny little life and what happens within it so I was really lucky with that and I had some other really great contacts you know a mutual uh, friend of ours Tori Archbold who we both know really well she was really generous in sending clients my way and you know I had no idea what I wanted to do with the business whether I wanted to just do mainstream external media stories you know go back to what I knew but suddenly I found myself with some gorgeous female clients like you you know entrepreneurs doing their own thing who needed just a little help with their branding copy or their EDMs whatever it was so I've managed to build up this beautiful beautiful selection of mostly lovely women who I'm just so grateful for Um, so I'm writing about their life stories these days rather than celebrities which in a lot of ways feels a lot more meaningful and a lot more real. 
That sounds just so wonderful. It sounds like it's really on purpose for you and, you know, really aligned with your values and who you are to be doing the work that you're doing. And I find it really interesting, you know, when you say, you know, I got some traction from my articles, like this is like over a hundred thousand people like worth of traction, a hundred thousand clicks, you know, it's something that we dream of as novices, you know, but it's obviously working for you. Yeah. Like it's funny how things have worked out for me. I'm only working four days a week. You know, that's become a specific boundary that I've put in place so that I've got every Friday to do what I want to do, see my parents who now live around the corner. So I am calling the shots. If I don't want to work with someone, if I don't get the right feeling in my stomach about them, then I don't have to take the job. That idea of being a digital nomad, which I laugh at that term, but I kind of think that's what's happened with it, that I'm able to work where I want to work pick and choose who I want to work with and that's one of the things that I've really noticed Julie since I moved down here probably one of the things that I've most learned about that time is to listen to my instincts I've always prided myself on doing it but we've all had those bad experiences at work where you've done something that you're not proud of or you've made the wrong decision for the wrong reason and so everything that I've been through has really sort of hammered home to me that idea of listening to your instincts doesn't feel right it's probably not right and so I keep a really wide berth with that my rule is no assholes I will never work with them again which seems to be a common rule for for us at the moment you know us women in this this sort of sphere I think that we're able to pick and choose who we want to work with it's become really important to me at this stage it's not as if I'm a gazillionaire that is far from the truth but for me now at 55 you know, there are so many more important things in my life day to day than making money. You know, I can live really cheaply if I have to. My husband would laugh if he heard me saying that. So, darling, I hope you never hear this podcast. But yeah, it's not really a priority. Having fun and doing meaningful things has become, you know, my shining star that I follow. We are all leaders, but you cannot be a leader of others unless you are a leader of self first. Over the past two decades, I've empowered hundreds of leaders to deliver positive impact to the business they are representing, resulting in extraordinary sales growth and high staff retention rates. I'm often asked the question, how can I work with you, Julie? Here's how. I present one-hour keynotes to corporations, providing practical tools and strategies for leaders and their teams to take control of busy, to be intentional with their actions and achieve the high performance results that they're looking for. I also work one-on-one with a select few ambitious and courageous leaders who understand the key to creating their success starts with them. So if you'd like to connect, you can find me at juliehyde.com.au. I love it. You're true north. And that was going to be my question to you. It's like, you know, looking back on all of you know, your time, it's it's like, what is your biggest lesson out of it? And it's interesting that you, you say the intuition. Do you think it's something that we get better at as we grow wiser? 
in life? Yeah, definitely. But also being in that position now that I am in life where I don't have to worry about paying a giant mortgage or putting the kids through private school. You know, I had three of them at private school for a long, long time. That's the equivalent of buying a new Mercedes and driving it off a cliff every year. (laughs) That's the decision that you make. So, and I certainly wouldn't choose it, but my situation is different. So I can afford to really do what I want to do these days and be pickier. But Definitely, definitely over time I've developed a really good bullshit meter and, you know, it's not even that someone is necessarily a terrible person. They could be a great person but if I don't feel like we are going to get along really easily, be able to share our stories and have that connection, then I would rather pass them on to someone else who will really get them while I concentrate on people that I want to work with. So it is a position of enormous privilege and I know that any day you know I'm only as good as the last client so there are some weeks where I really have to tell myself not to panic if my calendar is not as busy as I want it to be and that's been the other lesson just accepting that you know we might have quieter times and make good use of that in that time don't waste that gorgeous downtime by panicking about stuff which doesn't matter. I love the the way that you seem to like tap into the universe and hear the messages from the universe as well. And see, it's so funny that you say that because I'm not a woo-woo person. So it's interesting if it comes across as that I'm definitely not a meditation person. I get really bored with yoga. I've never had a, a coffee, let alone a chai latte or anything like that. I just don't do it. So I'm into AFL and, <laughs> and I'm into AFL and old 90s rock. That's, that's where I get my clues from the universe for. So it's funny that it sounds like that. I love it. I love it. I know that you're into something else that you did mention before, which is weeding. And, <laughs> and I wanted to understand because you always come across, like my, my perception of you, you always have very in control and you always look really calm. So what are the things that you do in your life to, that fuel your mindset and really serve you? I am so wrapped that you said I'm really calm. My mask is working. <laughs> Maybe let your husband listen to this after all. Exactly. He would be laughing his little head off. Things that are my mindfulness activities, yes, definitely weeding. There's no sort of shower rituals or anything. I can spend up to 15 hours a week. I've got this old yoga mat, Julie, and I put on those disposable kitchen gloves that some people use to toss salads. And I get out there on my yoga mat And just weed for hours and hours on end. I often have like my headphones with powder finger best of on while I'm weeding. I have my beautiful old grudel next to me and I have become so excellent at getting the root systems out. I'm just obsessed with it. People keep saying to me, why don't you just put some weed killer on it? It's like there is no way I take such pride in my beautiful velvety lawn that's been hand curated by me. That's sort of my weird activity. I also love playing Tetris and I've played it every day of my life since 1991 on the old Game Boy console, which, you know, you can't buy anymore. And I have to play it every day until I get at least 100,000 points. So that is my form of meditation. Now, this is hilarious because I am fascinated by people who weed their lawn I'm like why does it matter because I don't want the weeds to take over the beautiful buffalo grass you know like 
But it is such a valid and fabulous question and I don't even know why it matters. But it matters to you and that's what is important. Yeah, and it is my thinking time. I just take such pride in my technique which involves like grabbing the weed and twizzling it round and round in a circular motion until I feel that root coming loose and then I ease it out. I don't know if you've ever seen Dr Pimple Popper but I love watching her work popping people's pimples. And that is how I feel about my weeds. I just, I love it. Getting rid of all that bad stuff. Yeah, like I've had nights that I go to sleep dreaming of the weeds. I can see them in my mind and I have thought about getting a head torch so I can go out and do it at night time because I wonder what the lawn would feel and smell like at night. So there we go. Well, why don't you? That could be the next step. Maybe. I could be levelling up the weeding. Yeah, can you imagine people going past thinking, what is she doing? It's three in the morning on a yoga mat. may have a few questions in their mind. So I love this chat and I must say that you did suggest a mindfulness tip for me, which was tapestry, <laughs> which you're very good at. Yes. And I'm not. Well, that's the tapestry is not a mindfulness thing for me. It's something that makes me very agitated and angry. I loved it when you, I took my advice and you got onto a site in the UK, you bothered to have a kit sent out from the UK. And then you said to me, I don't even know if it's tapestry or cross stitch. It's like, okay, (laughs) you haven't paid enough attention. I didn't have very good instructions. It was adorable. You know what? Next time I see you in person, we will have a little tapestry workshop one-on-one. Like I want I want you to get past the anxiety phase and get into the gorgeous creative phase. I wish everyone could see Julie's face now. She's doing the biggest eye roll, like shut up. Tapestry is not my thing. Moving on. We can sit there maybe over bubbles. It'll be much better. <laughs> All right, Kate, I've loved this chat with you and I could talk to you forever like we always have such good chats. Finally, because this podcast is all about making it count and that is the essence of this. And I know I think throughout our chat people can get a really good feel for that, but how do you make it count in your world? Okay, for me it involves definitely never taking myself too seriously I think that that is a really fast way to have an unhappy life. I think that everything should be treated with as lighthearted a touch as you can muster. But, you know, it's actually pretty funny for someone who's taken such joy in building a career for nearly four decades. You know, there's not many women in Australia or even, you know, men in Australian media who've been around for that long and have consistently been in employment. So I really love that. That's kind of a little career legacy. But, you know, I think for me, making it count is still all about my kids. I'm pretty much in awe of them and how they've turned out and, you know, how much joy I still get from them. And, you know, I've definitely let them all go out in the world. They're all out there doing their own thing. I'm not hanging on what they're up to or whatever. But I just love every day of my life knowing that they're out there and that their dad and I did a pretty good job and that they're happy and healthy. Now I want to cry saying that. (laughs) Oh, that's so beautiful. I want to cry too. That's such a gorgeous thing to say. And I think everything you said there is something to be so incredibly proud of. 
and, you know, a part of the amazing legacy that you're leaving behind too. Yeah, well, they are pretty much it for me and that may make me sound like a retrograde 50s housewife and <laughs> but that's fine. If that's how people interpret it, that's okay with me. But for me, the most fascinating thing has been that great science experiment of motherhood. It has meant everything to me and it still does. So, you know, in a lot of ways, my work is my hobby and the kids are the real work, even though they're all in their 20s. You know, it is an ongoing experiment and one that I just draw so much entertainment and love from. Really, I really like it. Okay, that's so beautiful and such a beautiful note to end on. So I want to thank you for making it count for so many, including me. You make me sound so fabulous and the work that we do together, I'm so grateful for and I'm so grateful that we connected. You're an absolutely beautiful soul, chock-a-block, full of talent, and I just want to thank you so much for being my guest today. Oh, Julie, thank you so much for having me and for everyone for listening. You know, I really I love working with you. I love the conversations that we have, and what I have found over our last couple of years of working together is that we're sort of enmeshed now in each other's lives in terms of I know your story, you know mine. And that for me is a really modern way of doing business, you know, that you actually do get to know people on a personal level. For me anyway, and what I'm doing, it makes it so much more worthwhile. And you are an absolute banger of a chick. And I love working with you and lunching with you and doing tapestry with you, which is a date TBA. Yes, that is TBC. (laughs) Thank you, Kay. Thanks, Julie. Thank you for listening to today's episode and I trust that you enjoyed leaning into one of the precious moments shared. I invite you to leave your thoughts as a review in support of the show. You can also share with your network and even rate and review it. I would appreciate that feedback and connection. I'd love to connect on LinkedIn or Instagram via my handle, Julie Hyde Leads. Until next time, live and lead intentionally and make it count.